0: After the chips and science bill passed this summer, Dan Correa put together what may be the most remarkable Twitter thread of 2022. It started out with the line, I want to emphasize the power of policy entrepreneurship. Writing down the best version of an idea and sending it to a policymaker who can take action can sometimes feel like a prayer, especially since policy change is a long game. Yet time and again, it works. Then, over the course of this thread, Dan proceeded to walk through a dozen examples of the ideas his nonprofit, The Day One Project, helped shepherd into legislation everything from AI test beds and broadening the NSF's geographic investment to STEM graduate fellowships and CEO-led focus research organizations. This is an incredible accomplishment and one that deserves investigation. Dan is the CEO of the Federation of American Scientists and founder of the Day One Project. So, Dan, why do this in the first place? Well, the concept uh,
1: for the Day One Project was actually born many years ago. Um, I had the opportunity to serve in the Office of Science and Technology Policy in the White House. And I think uh, one thing that people don't realize about these roles is that, um, A, you're incredibly busy, and B, you are inundated with people who want to pitch you ideas. And this, what this how this manifests is that you're in meeting after meeting um, with folks who have ideas of things that the government should work on. Um, and it was probably in my you know, third year of sitting through these meetings that I began to reflect uh, that, that maybe there's a, a way in which we can do more pre-work to prepare good ideas uh, so they're ready for action for policymakers and began pulling on this thread um, of, of what it would take to organize the community of experts who know a lot about critically important science, tech, and innovation topics, but may not know what to do with that expertise or how it could shape policy. So that's the beginning of the journey, and there's a lot more that
0: goes into it. How do we take that idea of bringing these, I don't know, smart supplicants? I don't know. Concerned citizens uh, who are worried about something and, and, and channeling their, um, their brains and energy in a positive direction. What, what, what sort of models did you think about?
1: Let me first just like, resuscitate a little bit the value proposition here. Like, these aren't meetings that you're taking simply out of like, this is stakeholder engagement. In fact, people often have a kernel of a good idea. The challenge is that coming out of the meeting As a busy policymaker, your realization is, I have just been assigned more homework for this to become an actual initiative. There are a lot of things that I would need to figure out. And there's only so many hours in the day. Um, And so, but, but the reality at the same time, and this is, I think, critically important, is that for just about. Every major new initiative that we and our team had a hand in, the kernel of the idea came from someone else. So people that knew a lot about a topic. So just to give you an example, um, during the Obama administration, during our time, President Obama launched an initiative to map the brain. Like, let's do for the brain what the Human Genome Project did for the genome. That idea was not something that, like, some team at NIH or OSTP came up with. It, it, it found um, inspiration from the work of academics um, that were in this field advancing um, the state of science and thought that the time was right for a series of multi-sector targeted event, uh, investments that would help uh, to rapidly accelerate progress, right? Um, so the, 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 the insight remained that like crowdsourcing the substance of what policy should be is like really foundational and important for, for government to be effective uh, uh, in, in designing and delivering on policy in the first place. So, so there were a couple insights in this then. So one, like we have to help people understand the needs of actual policymakers and then two um that presupposes that like crowdsourcing policy uh and insights and inspiration and kernels of good ideas is w- a worthwhile endeavor that more people have things to contribute to policy than they realize
0: let's let's take it forward a little bit so we have smart people with kernels of ideas that have value that haven't already you know bubbled up into the system um mm-hmm. you you brought up this idea of homework um what I imagine most, you know, PhDs in neurology uh, think that they can't do any of this homework, that this is, you know, something that is foreign and confusing. And, um, you know, they have haven't taken civics in 25 years. Uh, You know, how far, uh, you know, at what point is the furthest that someone outside government can go in um, in bringing an idea to uh, fruition?
1: So I think the core contribution of the Day One Project has been to hone this into a systematized process that we can run over and over. Um, so it, it's it's pretty dodging at first. Like the, like the first thing that you have to do is to recognize that policy is its own discipline. You know, there are like schools dedicated to public policy. Like it is a thing that people study, but we are not like giving people... Uh, you know, a crash course in public choice theory. It's not as if like admiring public policy from a distance is going to enable you to move through it with velocity. Instead, we are sharing some of what we have seen work. It's more about understanding a toolkit about the kinds of levers that would give an idea uh, flight um, and helping individuals to go through their own experiential learning journey, um, talking to experts, workshopping iteratively with us on what would convert what they think the world should look like into something that has an actual plan of action that a policymaker could understand. And I think um, that's more about having uh, an entrepreneurial spirit, uh, a disposition uh and a bias for action um, than anything else. And I think we've seen this over and over and over.
0: So Dan, beautiful vision. Let's take us back to the beginning. How did, um, you know, how did you first think about taking all these, you know, tips and tricks and weird corners of the system that you learned in your time in the White House and trying to sort of share and impart that knowledge with these folks who you, had really bad meeting with meetings with, but like really, were rooting for, and just like knew that they needed a little help to get over the hump
1: well, you know when we started, so we said, what if we created the scaffolding and a system that would allow the community to contribute uh, in a better way and at greater scale? This meant one, recognizing that we would have to provide some technical assistance. We need to help them understand policymakers as customers. Two, um, you know, fundamentally that that crowdsourcing was going to be the way to get the best ideas. But three, we would have to organize the project around specific moments, windows of opportunity, okay? Um, And so the initial window that we chose was the 2020 election. Like, it doesn't take a policy veteran to understand that a presidential election uh, is a moment for uh, 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 a policy opportunity, right? Like uh, if the incumbent wins, there's like always a ton of reprioritization, uh, agenda setting for the second term. And if there's a change in administration, um, there's obviously a a total upending of priorities. Um, And so we started the project um, by issuing what was an open call Um, for folks to contribute to a collection of ideas that would inform that agenda setting. And when we started, it was like, I hope we get a couple people that would write something for us. You know, we had no idea if this would work, because essentially what we were asking people to do is uh, to write down their best idea, give it to us, let us tear it apart, and then do that process over again, like three or four more times. And at the end, we would put it on a website that nobody knew about, uh, and that we would, on our word alone, uh, that we would help them increase the likelihood of that idea becoming reality.
0: So it was like kind of a hard pitch at first. Yeah. yeah, let's do the institutional history, Dan. Like, were you thinking about you know doing it inside another um, uh, another think tank? How did you end up landing with Federation of American Scientists? How did how did you think about housing this as a institu- as a project? I guess.
1: Well, when we started, um, you know, we had we had modest funding, um, and it, it was less important where it lived than it was to test the hypothesis that this might even work at all. Um, so, so version one was actually uh, at Stanford University, um, where we undertook this experiment and, and, and obtained what we consider to be proof of concept. So uh, this works. Um, we had crowdsourced a collection of, of proposals around tech policy um, that I think stand up really well to this day back in 2019. Um, but we knew that we needed to go bigger. We knew we needed to be based uh, in Washington, D.C. The reason that the Federation of American Scientists uh, was a terrific fit uh, as an institutional home, um, was, uh, and we didn't know this at the time, but, but FAS has this really strong legacy as being a testbed and a platform for new, uh, new initiatives, experimental new initiatives in science. The organization has been around for nearly 80 years, um, started by, um, the scientists behind the Manhattan Project, um, who thought that at the dawn of the nuclear age, um, science and technical expertise were too important to be left out of the policymaking conversations that could avert global catastrophe. Um, And we have taken their example as inspiration as an organization. And over the last um, nearly eight decades, there have been a number of related uh, and unrelated new initiatives that this organization has fostered. And so they took us in at the time, um, back in
0: 2019. I've been, I've, I recently read a history of Rand and it's a fascinating moment right after the cult, right after World War II, because you had the smartest brains in America all doing this stuff. Um, and there was a sense within that community of these incredible, uh, you know, uh, current and future Nobel laureates all the way down to, you know, really smart, graduate students that um, America was about to lose a lot by having all of these, all of these, all this incredible STEM talent sort of scattered to the four winds. So stuff like RAND, stuff like FAS um, were attempts at that time to preserve the ability for the U.S. government to draw on that sort of expertise. And it's cool seeing that, you know, work all the way back around to to, um, to 2020. Dan, can we talk about budgets for a second? What was your what were your startup costs?
1: My God, it was we were tiny. I mean, it, it was I think myself initially it was myself and just a, a couple other individuals. Um, we had uh, you know we had G Suite and a website um, and uh, a mission to recruit a bunch of volunteers uh, to write down their ideas. And so um, the initial vision was that we could do this on a shoestring. Um, and, and we were lucky enough to get a couple of, of seed grants that were intended to be catalytic, that if we could prove out some initial success, this would be something we could, we could take bigger. So we never imagined what would come next. Um, and, and what came next was expanding, not just the policy writing, uh, uh, across specific subdomains in science and technology and innovation, but we, we ultimately, um, you know, I, I think we're now like 300 and counting in terms of number of, of policy memos that we have published and disseminated. Um, but I think really importantly, we have shifted from writing being the primary entry point uh, to viewing the, the, the mandate of policy entrepreneurship um, as an umbrella inspiration that we are still unpacking the ways in which a nonprofit organization can pursue with impact. Um, so it, there's a, a whole host of initiatives that we've launched um, under this banner um, that take m- the insights and motivation that we started with um, uh, and, and just push uh, further along down the line.
0: So, so what is it about the rest of Think Tank dumb that didn't catch on to this? Are the incentives screwed up? Um, Does actually no one have good ideas? What is, um, you know, why was this a lane that was open in the first place?
1: So first of all, I think a lot of uh, the history of the policy community um, um, is is rife with examples of um, advocacy and persuasive writing in pursuit of a like really ambitious broad reorientation of a policy direction. Mm. So a lot of the, 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 the uh, ink and, uh, is dedicated to sort of like big ideas and fleshing them out at a high level uh, with most of like any sort of, any paper you read, it's like mostly dedicated to the why. Um, and then I think the second piece that underpinned this I think a lot of people in the policy community and think tanks actually haven't, uh, haven't served. Um, and so I think these are, this is like a profession in its own right is to take, um, in some cases, you're like taking academic ideas and, and, quote unquote, commercializing them or making them policy relevant. Um, but there's like a breakdown in communication, I think, between those who are engaged in the more tactical work in government Of trying to pull the levers of action. It's its own discipline. Um, And and these communities are less in touch than you might think from the outside, where it appears like, you know, these are like government-in-waiting, scoping ideas that will then be implemented. Um, I think it it happens less often than we think. And so just to make like one specific point on how this manifests in our work, um, you know, when I was in government, like I would, Skim these like long papers for like a plan of action, like a kernel of something that's like, oh, you know, I, I didn't know that like DOE has this program that that might be repurposed to do, you know, that thing. Um, and, and and we have challenged at the day one project, we have challenged our contributors, um, to write action memo, like like really concise memo that, um the balance of the writing is 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 overwhelmingly in the direction of a plan of action um because like this is something that's consumable uh from those who you are actually trying to change their mind so i think that's like one piece um and then i think there's another piece that that's that's also like related to congress versus executive uh the executive branch where um this isn't just a think tank thing i think Lots of Washington is is overwhelmingly focused on big legislative milestone Hmm. Um, and and that advocacy and and idea generation to target Congress, like Congress is in charge. Congress holds the purse. Congress authorizes all of these agencies in the first place that like that is where the action is because it's upstream of a lot of the the implementation. But I think um, because there's there's um, these communities are, are distinct. I think that orientation and thinking overlooks the fact that in almost every case, Congress gives the ball to not just like really senior political appointees in the administration, but also career staff and junior folks. They oversee the scoping, uh, and very important decisions related to the implementation of lots of what Congress has just only shared in bare bones form. So like, I, I just think it's, it's deeply overlooked and there's, we are not nearly done at both sharing that as opportunity and also pursuing it.
0: I remember fall of 2019, literally every single think tank wrote a hundred page China strategy. And the, you know, because donors were interested in it, it's like much more sexy to be um, you know, Kenan than it is to be like thinking about uh, you know, the 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 sort of weird personal dynamics of global standards organizations. But the 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 marginal hundred page China strategies impact as compared to figuring out what is not right with enforcement around export controls of a specific thing and how money can be spent smarter or how legislation could be changed you know with a few commas here and an extra line there to give the commerce department more tools to you know enforce high-tech export controls is um it's just it's just a lot less sexy um but I, i think and this is the the sort of the thesis which you've borne out over the past few years dan is like the chance of your work actually making a change in the world if you start from there as opposed to um you know I'm the next george kennan is just so much higher and i would i would be like especially if you pick your spots and you do things that are kind of bipartisan and um you know go with the flow are like way higher than 50/50 that um the work you put in will end up um will end up making an impact
1: i think that's totally right and i think that's you know, it's that, in that spirit, that I shared those stories of impact in the chips and science legislation on Twitter, because we never tell these stories, and and we have there are other colleagues, lots of other colleagues in the, in the policy community that think this way and that are engaged on specific topics, um, but we want to shine a light on it because we think more people should be doing it because this is actually how you build change. Yeah, you know?
0: I think the thing that first got me cued on to this was like a 10 page paper, um, written by the folks who used to work at OPIC, um, who ended up creating the development finance organization. And I'll link to this in the show notes. Um, but it is just a story of how they took an idea, um, uh, OPIC, this sort of funding for internet, American international, uh, uh, trade and investment was it's investment, not trade. Um, Uh, Funding for international investment was like kind of not super popular. It wasn't set up the right way. You know, there were some scares where Congress almost decided to kill it. And they were like, you know what? There's something good here. I know how the system works. I'm going to serve it up on a silver platter. And now we have a, you know, uh, what's their budget? Like uh, tens of billions of dollars um, that exists now to support uh, American uh, trade investment abroad. Because a handful of staffers put in some yeoman's work to mature an idea and sell it, and I don't think anyone was paying them for it uh but the fact that something like that big could happen um and this was this was during the trump administration, mind you, what is a real uh is just a real um i don't know it was a really cool example. maybe I should get them those folks on to talk um is there something? particular to science and technology that makes this type of endeavor easier? Do people like defer to experts more because they're like, oh, you've got a PhD in this thing I've never heard of? Or is that not the case? Can we, can we do this across the, across the board?
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
0: Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling
1: I think, I think they are general, and I think they are generalizable. I've, we've seen examples of policy entrepreneurship in other domains. Um, I think there's an opportunity for this to become more of a norm than the exception. We should be teaching and training this in policy schools throughout the country for folks that are interested. And I think really importantly, it's like just an incredibly empowering way to think about your opportunity to drive change. Like I'm not just going to write papers. Like I'm someone who's going to learn the tools of policy entrepreneurship so that I can navigate um, the halls of power. I think there are topics for which this is really difficult. I mean, it is unlikely for a single policy entrepreneur with, um, with an insight and a master of the tools to like get an outcome on Section 230. You know, there's like topics where there's like really strongly articulated views that are entrenched that, um, th- that have both a partisan lens uh, and strong, strong advocacy efforts underway. It's like very hard, uh, unless you can find a way to like, um, for a clever solution that, that addresses concerns on both sides. Like, like, it's not as if like this is like, the solution to every single challenge. Um, you know, th- there are fraught debates, right? Like, I don't wanna like, you, you can't totally elide that. Yeah. And one of the thing I think is really important is that like, I-, I do think, you know, the Day One Project is a fundamentally nonpartisan endeavor. It had a leadership council when we started that was composed of veterans of Republican and Democratic administrations. And I think it is, there is a utility that in this area, there is some, um, there is common cause on a variety of topics where, uh, you know, folks may disagree on the ultimate number in terms of investment, but agree on the foundational uh, framework for debate. Say. Yeah,
0: I mean, I think there's something also in there about deference to expertise. Um, you know, I mean, Dan, with your BA in history and law degree, um, there's, there's a difference when you, as a science policymaker talk to someone who has spent their life in a particular, niche, as opposed to if you were, you know, a general counsel in the White House and some lawyer showed up and was like, hey, I got this thing for you. Um, I think it just it just opens up the aperture uh, for conversations to be held at a slightly different it, with a slightly different tenor. Are you wor- worried about the more folks end up using the one weird trick, the higher salience it gets and, you know, you start getting pushback for this type of stuff? And the loopholes start to close. I mean, not loopholes, but whatever the, the the avenues of change start to close. I do think in
1: eras of divided government, there's a premium on identifying the specific levers that may be understudied or not being used. Um, and I think this this cuts both ways. It's um, actually really hard yeah. to do. So I, I think there's like an interesting like seeing that across multiple issue areas. Um, I think well so so th- th- this is one thread I think that that underpins successful policy entrepreneurship is like there's an element of information arbitrage, like merely listening and diagnosing opportunities from those who are seeing them up close is is actually a big piece of some of the very specific policy ideas that have the most promise for impact. I also think um um you know, you, you have to approach people, uh, and challenge them to think about what it is that they'd like to change because sometimes, you know, over time as people, uh, work inside an institution where the rules seem to be fixed and Hey, no one's taken advantage of that in your words, Jordan, this one weird trick, like you, you forget that it's like a, a lever that should be pulled. Um, and so I think, uh, people who have this time-bound service, whether they're political appointees or fellows or something, tend to both come in thinking that they're there to help because they know a lot about a topic, but tend to leave uh, feeling like they know a lot about an organization and what should look different. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see. You see this journey like every time. Um, and if they've been successful, they've been successful as much because of what they've learned about how the organization works and how they can make it work as it, as any sort of expertise that they brought to the mm. Um, And so I think like people want to share that stuff.
0: Um, Dan, have folks abroad reached out to you about what lessons they could learn from the model you've uh, laid out in the U.S. and apply it to, to their, uh, their national political systems? You know, they, they actually haven't.
1: Um, for as successful as we know the day one project to be, it is deeply targeted at policymakers uh, in the U.S. federal system. We're excited to know that, that our, our web traffic and readership among that community is like incredibly high. Like people actually, I'm, I'm told, like people uh, shop our website like it's like a menu of things to work on. Um, but our, our penetration abroad is actually relatively uh, light. And I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's such an inside baseball move that we've made um, that we have yet to have too many conversations with folks outside this ecosystem. Yeah,
0: It's interesting because I, I've heard that, uh, you know, folks have reached out to CSET to see, you know, what lessons that sort of what they've been able to do for uh, tech and national security analysis can be brought abroad. And, you know, on the one hand, I think, um, you know, obviously you're right, Dan, like the, the, the one weird trick in the department of commerce is not going to be all that useful in like Israel or the UK, but, um, I wonder, you know, to what extent the model of getting smart, concerned citizens, the tools to speak like a mid-level bureaucrat is a kind of, is an initiative that you could replicate in, uh, uh, with some parallels to what you've done um, for other countries.
1: I suspect it is. I, you know, I think the other, the other reason why we're early in that journey is we've spent most of our time to date practicing it versus evangelizing it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's the next step is, is building this because I think, um, yeah, sure, it may not be like Congress versus executive branch it's the same dynamic, but like there are power centers that are that probably uh, where there's arbitrage to be done. Yeah, I mean, and taking that policymaker view is 100 I mean, percent
0: the way to do yeah, it. Yeah, there are overworked bureaucrats everywhere, and there are government inefficiencies which can be addressed without you know giant controversial pieces of legislation. Um, probably, I don't know. I don't know more or less in the U.S. than other countries. Um, there's one. Come uh, on, you want to say something? bringing a china angle into this you know this is this is what the not the party this is what the national people's congress is like ostensibly supposed to do um is you know you take these like ideas from like your billionaires and Ming or whatever and uh you know they turn into policy proposals but this is just so much better because i don't know our system actually listens um folks aren't scared that if they say the wrong thing you know they're gonna be thrown in jail um, and uh the fact that this is part of the u s system is something I think worth you know not just the u.s. system, just like democracies in general um that bureaucracies are much more permeable than they would be in in uh closed, more autocratic societies is uh is uh something that I think there's more effort that should be harvest from when you're talking about you know getting on a happy flywheel to improve governance, raise productivity over a multi-decade window. I just wanted to riff for a second on policy entrepreneurship on China adjacent topics. 10 years ago, right, it would be thinking you had stuff like the U.S.-China Bilateral Investment Treaty and more broadly, like ideas that you could use to improve U.S.-China ties um, or bring the two countries together or kind of like get the interaction happening on a better way. And, you know, unfortunately, that window seems to be closed and be closed for a number of years to come. So, you know, if I you know, when I think about the the marginal five hours a week, I have to do this sort of um, this sort of thing. It's again, it's not on the what is America's China strategy level? Um, I think there are a number of questions uh, that I'm particularly interested in that I think the sort of broader um, uh, American and and global policymaking community would like to have better answers on from an analytical perspective with respect to China, and there are sort of accompanying policies uh, that would go along with that. From so from on the analysis side, um, two pieces which have really caught my attention over the years of how much um, you know so sort of how much room there is for good smart people to make an impact. The first is on elite Chinese politics. Um, And broader and not just elite, but also just like broader understanding of the Chinese bureaucracy and how it thinks and responds to events. And that is something which obviously is hard to research. You need really good Chinese. Um, Unfortunately, everyone I know who does this well now has spent lots of time in mainland China hanging out and talking with bureaucrats and people in the party school and whatever. And that's something that is like harder if not impossible to do in this contemporary environment. But there's still, um, you know, an outrageous amount of open source stuff that the Chinese government puts out, which is not kind of digested and thought about in a serious way by the global policymaking community. And I think you can have a better sense of the, 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 the Chinese government's, you know, intentions and capabilities if... More people were looking at open source modern China stuff um, and even delving deeper into in, into historical case studies in a in a more serious way. So that's on the kind of like analyzing China front. And, um, you know, the other piece, I think, from uh, you know, putting on my Jordan Schneider tech analyst hat is um, uh, sort of understanding dynamics within the Chinese technology ecosystem. Um, the, uh, you know, the, the amount of people who could say anything who, you know, who are able to say anything interesting or relevant about the Chinese memory industry is like shockingly thin. Um, and you know, this is like the most important thing, according to Jake Sullivan. Um, and I'll I'll tell you this much, the U S government, uh, you know, the, 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 there is nothing stopping you and the sort of competition within the US government is not so high that you can't say anything interesting i mean maybe that is the case if you're trying to you know do a big report on the the rocket force or some you know more mil- more military focused thing about like the the you know how the how the 6th army is positioned or whatever but anything approaching technology and anything approaching sort of commercial um there is an enormous um uh or supply chain uh, is there's an enormous kind of range that analysts outside the government just using open source stuff calling people in industry asking them what they think um you can deliver a ton of value to um uh to policymakers as, as they're thinking about sort of you know net assessments where the us is relative to chinese capabilities and what um you know if you pull lever x um the sort of commercial as well as policy response may be on the other side of the pacific yeah. and it's and it's also I think this level the the layer of improving analysis is so important because you know you could go a level down to what we were talking about earlier of like okay like how can we fix the standards organizations or how can we you know help uh help uh, import, uh export control but I think like the the sort of strategy um is not really like like the interesting strategy discussion is not what should the u.s do relative to china it's like okay we're competing we're probably gonna be competing for a while but like china plus technology plus competing and how you define victory what are you prioritizing um what is and isn't important um that is not something you can answer Without doing more homework of understanding these industries and understanding these emerging technologies and understanding the ways that they can develop, and that work hasn't happened yet, but these issues are so pressing that you now have um, the the sort of America, the u s government acting and spending tens of billions of dollars and making very radical sort of inject, you know, uh, insertions into the global supply chain, like you saw with the, uh, you know, with these with these recent export controls on the basis of um, analysis, which I think the broader public and sort of academia and think tank tankdom um, can uh, uh, do a much better job of than it currently is today. Thanks so much for being a part of China Talk.
1: Thank you.
2: Te lo advertí que si fallaba yo te iba a hacer llorar Tu corazón es de piedra y tus lágrimas de cristal
3: Pasamos de decirte extraño a hacerlo extraño Se derrumba en minutos lo que construyendo años Y a veces estaba bien, pero me hacía daño Tú no eres real, baby, tú eres un engaño Barra tu. Culo. Tiene las tetas real, pero el corazón facturó De esa vida de mentira, yo era lo único puro Quédate con la guagua, con la gana y con el pudor A ti yo te di, pero también le di, di, A la foto en París Y que me cague en la madre, que me vuelva a parir Por eso bloqueé tu perfil Yo no quería volver, solo escucharte mí. Baby sinist no luce, aunque prenda la luce, la culpa la tiene tú, por más que me acuse, tantas excusas que puedes llenar de autobuses, para ver el diablo cuando conmigo te cruce <tose> Tu memoria, tu contacto y todo tu videos. Llego el final de tu historia, no te arrepientas porque ya no te creo Hoy borro tu memoria, tu contacto y todo tu video. Llego el final de tu historia, no te arrepiento porque ya no te creo.
2: Y a ti ya te leo aunque tú seas PC. Cuando no tenía ni carro te buscaba en bici. Pero tú me fallaste y la pusiste easy. Quédate con toda la Louis Vuitton y con la GC. Si quieres